in God good. Tell you, I love, I love your pastor and his family, and I knew all the babies when they were little, and uh, they have grown up to have other babies, and it's so good to see all them, and uh, great to be with y'all. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 37. Are you ready for the word? I believe God's given a word that uh, needs to be heard by every believer and every church across our nation. And today I'm going to be talking about the God of promise, process, and purpose. We're going to talk, take a look at God's prophetic promise to Joseph's life, then the process that he takes him through. But we want to start with the purpose. How many of you believe our purpose is important? Now, the purpose for God's purpose for Joseph's life, I believe, is God's purpose for your and my life. And it's simple. The first aspect of that purpose is that we come in together in the unity of the faith. That faith extends, and that unity extends to both Father God and earthly family. How many of you believe that God's plan is unity in the family of God and unity with God, to get on God's page and get on page with one another, that in our marriage we need to get on page, that in the church we need to get on page, we need to be unified. And then the second aspect of God's plan is that we save the world, and we'll never save the world until we get un until we get unified. In Psalms 133, in verse 1, he said, How good and pleasant, we're not on our text yet, how good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. He said, It's like the anointing oil that flowed down Aaron's beard onto his priestly garments. It's like the dew of Mount Hermon that descends on the Mount of Zion. For there God hath commanded blessing, even life evermore. God blesses unity. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is talking about the fact that Jesus descended and then he ascended and he gave gifts to men. And in those gifts, he gave five pastoral or five ministry gifts of the apostle, the, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. He said, for the perfecting of the saints, for the knowledge of the Son of God and the, and the excellency, okay, and the edification of the body of Christ till we all come together, what was the first thing? In the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ being made a perfect man that lives up to his image. There's a huge difference between togetherness and unity or agreement. You can take two tomcats, you can tie their tails together, throw them over a clothesline, you have togetherness. But you do not have unity. What is sad in a lot of homes and even a lot of Christian homes, you have togetherness. They sleep in the same bed, they eat at the same table, drive in the same car, come to the same church together. And they're together, but they're, they're not unified. Something happened. And, and at the end of this service, we're going to ask the congregation to come down the front and let the Holy Spirit, because the Word prepares us for the work of God. There's a lot of churches, they come, they sit together, sing the same psalms, hear the same sermon, pray the same prayers, but they're not, they're together, but they're not unified. And Jesus, in his longest recorded prayer in John 17, said, Father, here's my request, I'm fixing to go to the cross and die, but one thing, one thing I want is, Father, make them, oh, y'all been in the Word, Father, make them one, unify them, God, as I'm unified with you, I want you to unify Hebrew Springs, 
Hebrew Springs Assembly of God, I want the home reunified. Okay, I, I want the home put back together right. Now, I'm not talking about together. I'm talking about unified. And Genesis 37, look at verse 2 through 28. It says, and these are the generations of Jacob. And Joseph was 17 years old, and he was feeding his father's flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wife. And he brought his father their evil report. And Jacob, whom God renamed Israel, he, he loved Joseph more than all of his other children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than them all, they hated him and refused to speak kindly to him. And Joseph dreamed a dream which he told to his brothers, and his brothers hated me more for the dream. And he said, in this dream that I dreamed, he said, we were in the field, we were binding sheaves, and behold, my sheaf stood upright, and your sheaves encircled mine and bowed before me. And they said, shall you indeed reign over us or have dominion over us? And they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words, and he dreamed another dream. And he said, in this dream, he said, I saw the sun and the moon, 11 stars bowed before me. And and when he told this dream to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him sharply, saying, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall indeed I and your mother and your brothers bow before you with our face to the ground? And his brothers envied him, but his father remembered all that he, all that he said. Goes on, and jo Joseph's brothers were feeding the flocks in Shechem, and and uh, Jacob called him and said, Are your brothers not feeding the flocks in Shechem? He said, Come, and I will send you to them. And, and in, he said, Here I am. And in verse 17, the last part of verse 17, it said, And Joseph searched for his brothers, and he found them in Dothan. Then in 18, when his brothers saw him coming afar off, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said, Behold, the dreamer cometh. Come, let us kill him. We'll throw his uh, coat into... I forgot that, God, that his father made him a multicolored coat. And they said, we'll throw his multicolored coat into a pit and we will tell our father that an animal has devoured him or de destroyed him and we will see what becomes of his dreams. And then Reuben, who's the oldest son of Jacob, when he heard of their plot, he rescued Joseph from being killed by his brothers, saying, let us not kill him, don't shed his blood, but let us throw him into this pit in the wilderness but lay no hand upon him. And when he met his brothers, Joseph met his brothers, they stripped him of his coat of many colors. And they cast him into an empty pit which held no water, and they sat down to eat bread. And when they lifted up their eyes. How many of you know God's timing? He knew exactly everything that was going to happen, and he started a caravan of Ishmaelites a long time before he was ever betrayed. So that at the, oh, how many of you know God orders our step, and at the right moment, God is at work. And so uh, they lifted up their eyes. They saw a caravan of Ishmaelites from Gilead with camels loaded down with spices, balm, and myrrh to sell in Egypt. And Judah uh, said to his brothers, What does it profit us to kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, that his blood not be upon us. So they consented to sell him. So when the, Midian, the merchants from Midian passed by, they drew Joseph up out of the pit and they sold him. They sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they took him and sold him as a slave in Egypt. Beautiful story. So many things in that story. 
First of all, there's God's dreams and the prophetic plan. Can I tell you, God has a plan for each one of you. He has, a, he has his spiritual portrait that he's imprinted, and some of you can see that dream. You, you know from the moment that God called you what it's going to be. He, you, you have a destiny in mind. For some of you, that destiny, however, has been delayed. Now, here's what God does. The promises of God are yes and amen. How many of you believe that? They're, they're given to encourage you. Now, what God did not do, he did not tell Joseph the process. If he had told him the process instead of the promise, Joseph probably would have said, let me think about that. No. Here's my brother. Choose him. Are you with me? But God takes us. And see, God does not call the people that are qualified. He qualifies the call. And so God calls us and equips us. He changes us to meet the dream. God is in the process of changing you. So there's three things that I want to talk to you about, about if you want to grow into the dream, if you want to go, grow into the promise and the purpose that God has for you, the things that God took Joseph through are the things that he's taking us through. How I many of you believe that? Are you willing for the Holy Spirit to change you this morning? The first thing, if you want to grow into the promise and the purpose that God has for you, then set, let's personalize it. I must say I must change. If I want to grow into the promise that God, and let's, let's make it a little deeper, selfishness, self must change. There's a unity principle because, remember, unity is our purpose. We'll never be effective at winning the world until we're unified together. So we come into this place that selfishness always undermines unity. That's your unity principle. In a negative context, let's turn it around and say that unity follows love and humility and honor we're to prefer others before ourselves. I have found that my greatest enemy, I discovered who he was. He's this 265-pound fat guy with losing his hair. He's wearing a blue coat today. I saw him when I looked in the mirror this morning. My biggest enemy, my biggest enemy is not Satan. The biggest enemy, your biggest enemy is the enemy of self. And if there's going to come a coronation, there first has got to be a crucifixion. Oh. See, selfishness, listen, is either taught are terminated in the home. Selfishness is either taught or terminated in the home. You and I were all born selfish and we've had relapses. Oh, help me. And sometimes you got to turn the radio dial just a little bit because it gets fuzzy. Okay, see, and what happens in the home, I came to tell you, will filter over into the church. So you see God's first stop for Joseph's life. He's got to deal with the selfish issue because you see the, the nut doesn't fall far from the tree, does it? Joseph grew up in a toxic home. His dad, Jacob, was very selfish, a supplanter, a cheater. And he lived up to his name, guys. We talked about that last time that we were here. So he was very selfish, and in this home, there was one baby daddy, four baby mamas. 
How many of you know that's not the climate for unity? Rachel hated Leah because Leah could have babies like the Browns have babies. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just speaking the word. Okay, and, and Leah hated Rachel because Rachel had Jacob's affection, and then they both brought their servants, Bilhah and Zilpah, into the mix, and they became baby mamas, and so you had 13 babies, and you had some chaos and confusion in the home. So you see, it was only natural that Joseph grew up selfish. Now, I've never met a polite baby. I've never met an 18-month-old baby that woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning, cold, wet, and hungry, who said, you know what, Mom and Dad had a tough night last night. I'm going to lay here, and I'm going to shiver, and I'm going to just deal with it. At 8 o'clock, I'm going to say, Dad, 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 Mom, 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 would you come here? No. If a baby ain't happy, oh, y'all have had some babies. I can tell. If a, if, a, if a baby's not happy, see, there's two sides of selfishness. Are you ready? If you're taking notes, the two sides of selfishness are immaturity and insecurity. Let me say it in, a, in Arkansas language. It's childishness and control. The two sides of selfishness are childishness and control. And see, when you're childish, you got to have your way about everything. And if you don't have your way, then you throw a fit if, if they don't sing. If they don't sing your style of music, you'll get disgruntled. If somebody says something that you don't like, you're going to have a fit. See, Jesus, when he said to his disciples, if any man would be my disciple, and you're here today because you want to be his disciple, he said, let's start at the first place. The first place is the first step for Joseph, first step for you, deny yourself and take up the cross. What's the cross for? It's not to re-crucify Jesus. It's because daily you're going to have to put self down. There has to be the crucifixion before there can be the coronation. So, how does God deal? See, see Joe, Paul said it this way. When I was a child, he said, I thought like a child. I acted like a child. I spoke like a child. But when I became a man, I had to put away childish things. I'm just declaring to you on this first Sunday in March, it's time for us to put away childishness. It's time for us to grow up. If we want unity in the home, ever, ever fight, ever fight you've ever had as a couple has started over selfishness. Not just one or two. Every fight comes down to selfishness. Every conflict in the church comes down to selfishness. If we're going to win the battle and get unified, we got to deal with the number one enemy, and that ain't them. It is me. So Joseph ends up in the pit. Selfishness will always leave you isolated and lonely. It's in the pit. He had an epiphany moment. Not everybody loves me like my daddy loves me. Not everybody loves me like God loves me. Okay, and in the pit, he came face to face with who he really was. And why did they want to kill him? Because he was a jerk. Can I tell you, this is just good news. God uses jerks. Now, he changes them. I'm just saying there's hope for me and you because God uses jerks. Okay, he was a tattletale. He brought his daddy their evil report. Okay? There is no such thing as a tenth gift of the Holy Ghost of being a garbage collector and a dirt monger and a tailbearer. 
Okay, that is not a spiritual gift. And if you do that, you need to repent. If I'm rubbing the cat the wrong way, then turn the cat around. How many of you know? Okay, so he's a jerk. Why? Because he, he was a tattletale. He's a gospel. He was a jerk because he was proud and arrogant. His daddy gave him a multicolored coat. You'd think he'd break that out on Christmas and Easter, but no, non contraire. You'd think he'd wear it just on Sunday or on the Sabbath. No, no. he had to wear it every day of the week because he had to rub it in everybody's face. I am daddy's favorite. And he was self-righteous and super spiritual. The people that give you the most trouble in a church. Oh. The people that give you the most trouble in the church are always the super spiritual people because I'm hearing from God. Oh, God gives me dreams. He doesn't give you dreams. Let me be the interpreter of your dreams because God speaks. Are you with me this morning? And see that same God. See, sometimes you have to end up in that pit to come. And how do we know that Joseph passed the test? That's the biggie, okay? It's because when he's in the pit, he learns how to keep his mouth shut. I'll tell you, when you know how you've conquered your selfishness is when you're, when you're tempted to wait off in that argument and the Holy Ghost says, shut up. That's the interpretation, Okay? And if you can keep your Bible, because in the book of James, he said a perfect man is somebody that can control his tongue and does not offend with his mouth. If you're going to learn how to lead people, you've got to start with loving people. And if you want God to coronate you, you better crucify self. The second thought. To grow into the dream that God promised, you have to learn how to serve. The unity principle is this, is unity follows servanthood and sacrifice. The Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister, to give his life a ransom for many. So you understand that God called us into service servanthood. That's what he's looking for. In Genesis chapter 39, verse 1, and they brought Joseph to Egypt where he was, where he was bought, where he was sold as a slave, and he was bought by an Egyptian by the name of Potiphar who was an officer in Pharaoh's army and captain over Pharaoh's personal guard. And the Lord was with Joseph and caused all that he did to prosper. And when the Egyptians saw that the Lord was with him and prospered everything that he put his hand to do, he made him Lord of his house and put everything under his control. And listen to what it said. And the Lord blessed the house of the Egyptian for Joseph's sake. Servanthood was one of the most important principles that Jesus Christ taught his disciples. He's not looking, listen, for us to become a kingdom of sovereigns. He's looking for us to become a kingdom of servants. And over and over he taught it, the way up is down. To to gain, you've got to be willing to lose. If you want to become the chief, you've got to become the least. He said, if you want to become the master, you've got to become the servant. That's the principle. And and, and we go all the way down to the end of his journey in ministry of 
Palm Sunday as they are making their descent from the Mount of Olives and down the way toward the Eastern Gate. And the crowds begin to sing, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And this is a Shazam moment for the disciples because they said, guys, this is the week. This is, we're fixing to have the kingdom. They're going to make him king. And the Bible says, listen, there was great contention between them of who would be the greatest. That's what they were worried about. Jesus going to the cross, and they're still selfishly fussing and arguing over who's going to have the best position. The contention was great between them over who would be the greatest. Then they had a discipleship meeting during that week, and James and John brought their mama. It's hard to deal with the mom card, especially a little Jewish mom. And she said, when you come into your kingdom, I want you to make my sons on your right and left hand. And Jesus said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. That's not for me to give. That's for the Father. He's going to give it to the people that deserve it. But then he asked them this question. He said, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? And they said, sure, we can drink that cup. It's that cup that in the Garden of Gethsemane, he agonized and he sweat great drops of blood and he said, Father, I don't want to drink this cup. Don't make me drink this cup. What was that cup? It was a cup of substitution. The cup of sacrifice, see, it's all in the same cup. The cup of servanthood, the cup of sacrifice is a cup of separation. It's the cup of sorrow. He's saying, I don't want to take their place. That, see, God became man and the greatest became the least so that the least might become the great. The Son of God became the Son of men, that the sons of men might become the sons of God. It's the cup of substitution. You understand? He took your place. He took your place. See, if you want unity in the home, I, here's, I guarantee you you'll have unity if you'll learn how to serve, if you'll learn how to put them in your place. Oh, that's good preaching. I wish I was listening to this message. Oh, help me. You understand? I wish somebody had told me this years ago because I still struggle with it. I still let me get back in the picture, and I forget it about substitution that I need to, in honor, I'm to prefer others before, that's substitution, prefer others before myself. And if you'll begin to prefer your mate above you, and if you'll begin to serve them, and if you'll begin to sac, oh, you can't argue with sacrifice and if you'll give up, your, your marriage will go up. So how did he accomplish that? How did God accomplish that in Joseph's life? With a demotion. Okay. Your demotion will precede your promotion. He, he was a 17-year-old, pimply-faced teenage boy from Hebrew Springs, First Assembly of God Church Annex in Jerusalem or wherever. 17, when he was stripped of his coat and his honor and his most favorite status and his hands were put in fetters and his feet was put in chains until the time of his word came and 
He took his little 17-year-old boy out of his daddy's arms and his daddy's house and his daddy's coat and out of his daddy's protection and threw him in a dungeon and then they threw him at the, the bottom of the heap in slavery. He could not speak their language. He did not know their culture or their custom. He did not fit in. It wasn't a, it wasn't a tiptoe through the tulip time a moment. It was tough. And he had, but the, the Lord was with him. I, I just came to tell you that you may be going through some stuff and maybe you're in that demotion right now, but you're not alone. God is with you and he will give you favor. When he's in the pit, he's a keeper of the pit. He's the only one in there. When he's at Potiphar's house, he becomes the keeper of Potiphar's house. When he's put in prison, he becomes the keeper of the prison. Do you understand the Lord You've you got to quit looking at your circumstances and look at your company. The, oh, you got to quit looking at your circumstances. you got to look at the company who's with you. You may feel like you're all alone, but you're not alone. God is with you, and he's trying to teach you to serve. Some of you, listen, are in jobs that you hate. You're cursed. You're mocked. You're saying, God, I've prayed and prayed and prayed for a better job. When are you going to get me out of this job? I hate being here. And have you ever thought maybe God's got you right where he wants you because there's some people that that workplace that won't come to Hebrew Springs First Assembly, but oh, Hebrew Springs First Assembly can go to them. And God wants to do with you what he did with Gideon. He, Labash, he clothed himself with Gideon. He wore Gideon to work, and they just thought it was Gideon because it was God on the inside. There is God with you, and he will give you favor. But you've got to be willing, listen, to serve in the demotion if you want to be qualified to serve in your promotion. Isn't God good? The third point. Has three addendums, they're short, but I think important. To grow into the dream God promised you, you have got to learn how to trust the misunderstood moments to God. Here's the unity principle your unity will always be tested. Help me. Your unity in your marriage will always be tested. Unity in the church will always be tested by hurt and injustice. I just came to encourage you. <laughs> Somebody said, I don't need that kind of encouragement. Well, you got it. Make the best of it. Trust the misunderstood moment. So there's three that I want to talk about. The first one is, listen, don't become bitter at God when doing the right thing costs you dearly. Let's go back to Potiphar's house. Things are going good at Potiphar's house. He's at the top of the stack calling the shots. Inside the house is a military wife whose husband is always going protecting Potiphar. I mean, Pharaoh. So her husband's always gone on protection detail with the Pharaoh. So she, it was glorious to mar marry this military figure, but it, boy, it was lonely. And she's lonely. She just wants somebody to hug her and hold her and kiss her and tell her how wonderful she is. 
Now, sin is having a legitimate need but filling it in an illegitimate way. All right. So she's not saved. So she sees the, the anointing of God is attractive. She sees the anointing of God upon this handsome young man who's strong. She flirts with him on a daily basis. Finally, she concocts his plan as, listen, is uh, she lets all her servants go. She sprinkles some rose petals down the hallway. She gets some candles from Bath and Body Works, lights him, puts him strategically throughout the house, takes his bubble bath, lets the, opens the windows. They're blowing through those little beige-colored curtains, and they're just kind of flowing. It's very romantic. She puts on a little music. She slips into a Victoria's Secret number, takes a little obsession. She dips. You always, women do this. They put it on their wrist and behind their ears. I do not know why, but that's where it goes. Are you with me? And she puts on a little too much makeup and too much rouge, hoping to get the brother confused, hoping he likes his women a little on the trashy side. You know what I'm saying. Okay, and so... So she summons Brother Joseph. He comes, and he knows, because the Holy Ghost will always tell you, uh-uh, something ain't right here. Them rose petals didn't fall off the rose. Hello, I, uh-uh, I don't like that tone of that song. And he comes up to her bedroom. She reaches out, grabs a hold of his coat, and her brother loses a second coat. He, he's, not, he's not good at holding on to coats. But he is good about holding on to God. Oh. He had rather hold on to God than hold on to his coat. He did all the right thing and it cost him. He was thrown into prison. And see, in those moments when you've done everything right and all hell comes against you, you get a little twisted toward God and say, God, I don't think that was fair. And God says, it's not over, baby. Oh, oh, this is, this is about to be checkmate. This is not on you, but on the devil. Oh, you just hold on. I'm not through. When you go through that moment, God's not through. Just trust him. The second thing is when God puts you on the shelf, he puts you in the waiting room. It's not because he's mad at you. Are you with me? It's not because he's mad at you. He's positioning you for your promotion. You think, it, God, it can't get no worse in prison. He said, hold on. You're about to meet somebody. That's going to, they'll forget you for a while, but there's going to come a key moment that they're going to remember. See, some of you in a dark waiting room, it's been a long time, and you, you feel like God's silence is his absence. Oh, it's not. I mean, let me say it this way. For 430 years, Israel was in Egypt's bondage. They were building pyramids for the Pharaoh. They were building cities for the Pharaoh. They were building houses for the Pharaoh. They were building roads for the Pharaoh. They were digging, digging wells for the Pharaoh, and they were praying all this time, 430 years. That's a long time to pray. And they were praying, God, where are you? We want out of this mess. What are you doing, God? Why don't you show up? Let me tell you what God was doing. 
For 430 years, he had the Canaanites building roads, building houses, building walled cities, planting vineyards, planting orchards, developing the cropland, raising cattle, raising sheep, doing everything that they need when he brought them out. Oh, come on, that's the kind of God that we serve, that he doesn't just want to bring you out of your problem into something that's empty. He wants to bring you out of a mess and out of your stress until you come to a place called blessed. The last misunderstood moment that I'm going to talk about is the most important. And trusting the misunderstood moments to God, you got to learn how to forgive. You got to learn how to forgive your family and your friends. We've all felt, listen, the sting of the Brutus knife and the Judas kiss. You're not a stranger to that. If you'd be honest, odds are there's been a time or two you held the knife and you gave the and you gave the kiss. David said it eloquently when he was talking about the betrayal of Ahithophel, his counselor. He said it wasn't an enemy that lifted up his heel against me. I could have borne that. But it's my friend. That's why it hurt. It was my friend. We went to church together. We sat on the pew together. We ate over at each other's houses. I shared with him the innermost parts of my heart. And we, he was my counselor. I don't understand. See, what he doesn't tell you was the other side of the story, that Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. Oh, help me. David had killed his grandson-in-law. Are you with me? Starts to make, he had had his grandson killed in battle. You understand how a counselor said, you know what? That was my family you messed with. He didn't forgive David. David struggled to forgive him. Are you with me? Nothing hurts more. There's two families, your biological family and your spiritual family. Now, preach a message out of John 18 says what to do when the church hurts you. We go back to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is agonizing over the cup, knowing his betrayal is soon. Malchus is the Servant of the high priest Caiaphas, he just shows up to work. And uh, Caiaphas says, I want you to take this guy, Judas, and these temple guards, go to the Garden of Gethsemane. I need you to bring this guy back. He's just showing up for work. So he goes up there, and Judas, we know the story. Judas kisses Jesus. Peter, who brought a sword to a prayer meeting, that is not a good combination, was asleep when he should have been praying. He wakes up, he grabs his sword, finds the one guy that doesn't have a weapon. Oh, this man of faith and power, are you with me? 
and he commits a class A felony. He's attempting murder. He's not trying to cut off his ear. He's trying to cut the dude's head off. He's just not really good at much. Aren't you glad God uses people that aren't good at much? So he, he cuts the dude's ear off. And could we say that Malchus has been hurt by the church? Could, could we make that, that jump? Because in a little over 50 days, he's going to be the keynote sp spokesman on the day of Pentecost at the inaugural address of the birth of the church. 3,000 people are going to get saved. They're going to look to him like he's a superintendent of the assemblies of God in Jerusalem. Are you with me? He is a man that's going to be upon this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the rock has hurt somebody. Ooh. Can I tell you, there's going to come times in life that somebody in the church is going to hurt you. There's going to come times somebody in the church is going to hurt you and they're going to try to destroy you. And there's times somebody in the church is going to hurt you, they're going to try to destroy you, and they're going to think they're doing God's will. There's times somebody in the church is going to hurt you, they're going to try to destroy you, think they're doing the will, and they may be leadership. Maybe a superintendent, it may be a presbyter, it may be a pastor, maybe a deacon, maybe a Sunday school teacher. Leadership is not immune from stupidity or, or wounding people. Okay, so comes down to this. People in church will hurt you, try to destroy you, think they're doing God's will, maybe a leadership, and they will never apologize. There's no scripture that says, Peter ever said, Malchus, I'm sorry. If you're waiting on apology, you'll be holding your breath a long time. Malchus has a choice to make. First, he can resort to the law, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and an ear for an ear. Hello? He's, he's justified in making that choice. And how many times do we want our pound of flesh? We do unto others like they did unto us. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and ear for an ear leaves everybody blind, toothless, deaf, and ugly. So he could have chose that option. His other option would say, you know what, if he, if he is supposed to represent you, Jesus, then I don't want anything to do with church. And you know him. You have seen him. Many of you, as I'm talking, you already got somebody's mind somebody's name on your mind who, who used to go to church but they got hurt by somebody in the church and they have dropped out and they haven't been back. His other option is he could go on Facebook. It wasn't enough for him to quit church. He wants to tell all of his 5,000 friends why they need to quit church. Oh, come on. We're talking options here. Or he could have picked up his little ear, put it in a mason jar of alcohol, bound up his head until it scarred over. He'd still be deaf. Go around on Joy Behar. Oh. Woo, somebody. That was a hanky-throwing moment. I got to show the world. It's not enough for me to quit church and get my friends to quit church. I want people to turn off to Christianity. And that's the choices that we make. Or there's one final choice he can let 
can forgive Peter and he can let Jesus. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, come in. I want you to forgive him. Boy's a little slow. Hello, can you hear me now? <laughs> yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. You understand we can let Jesus reach to the place of our scar and our wound, pick up what we lost and put it back on us and put it back together, and we'll go home healed and hearing. We'll go home blessed. Are you with me? You've got to learn how to forgive. The person that has the most influence in your life is a person you refuse to forgive. Why? Over and over. They live rent-free in your mind. Oh, they're the most, they're the worst tenant. They'll keep you up at night. They'll distract you from your job. They'll distract you, distract you from the vacation. Why? Because you're still, you're replaying. It's Groundhog Day. Hog day. You're going over and over and over every day of the week what they did to you, and, and you're replaying that. And, but the moment, if you will forgive them, you will evict them. I got another hanky. <laughs> One's for throwing, one's for blowing. Yeah. I love y'all. Do you understand the importance? In chapter 45, Joseph said, listen, he said, he gathered his brothers together and had the power to kill them. He said, uh, I don't want you to be angry or grieved with yourself. He said, it wasn't you that sent me here. It was God. It was God. That I might bring about deliverance and salvation for many, and he sent me to go before you. He sent me to prepare you a place and a provision, and he has made me a father to the Pharaoh. I couldn't do this if I wasn't willing to forgive. See, kids have got to learn to see their parents operating in forgiveness. Oh, help me. Because God wants to make you a father to somebody, not just your own kids, but a father to the fatherless. And in, in, in chapter 50, he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good that he might bring about a great deliverance. And he said, don't worry about it. He said, I will take care of you and your little one. I want you to stand with me. In God good. I said, in God good. As ministry team come back to the platform, I want church, I'm just going to ask you, if God's just been touching your heart and there's things that he's just been dealing with, I want you to come and stand at the front. And I want you to let the Holy Spirit begin to operate and work in your life because I believe, oh, I believe there ought to be people walking all over here just you're saying, I, there's areas in my life I need more unity. I need more wisdom. I need, I need to forgive. I got some hurt. I'm care there's some more people ought to be stepping up here. I need, I want to be blessed. You see, the blessing, let's scoot up, scoot up, people coming in, let's. 
the blessing falls on the sacrifice, and I haven't been willing to sacrifice because I've been selfish, and I've been unforgiving. People hurt me, and I just, I'm just i tired of waiting for, oh, I want a pound of flesh, and I can't get it, and I don't know what to do. And boy, they just, oh, they torment my mind over and over. He abused me. Mama knew, but she didn't do anything about it. Oh, I'm angry and I'm bitter. Oh, I don't know how to grow into adulthood because I'm a stuck little kid in a moment in the past. And how can I forgive him for what he did and forgive her for what she let happen to me? Or somebody in the church said something and hurt me dearly. They betrayed me. They betrayed my confidence. They they ripped apart my character. They, they hurt me when I was the most vulnerable. I just feel wounded to the very soul, and I don't know what to do. I don't know how I'm going to go forward. It's going to take more than me because it's not in me, but or my marriage. It struggles because I'm stubborn and he's stubborn and I'm selfish and he's selfish. We fuss and we fight all the time and over stupid stuff. And the kids, they, they're becoming rebellious because there's no harmony in our home and there's no unity. The fleshly part of me wants to quit, wants to throw in the towel. But I'm here because of my kids. This message is for you. I don't know your name. I don't know your situation. I'm not saying it's easy. And I'm not saying the other person is right. I'm saying God can use you to bring unity to your marriage, to your home, to the rebellious teenager. But it's going to require a little crucifixion of self. And you're going to have to do what Jesus did when supper had ended. He rose up from the table, laid aside his garments, and he girded himself with a towel, and he began to wash feet. And it's hard to wash feet when you feel like their feet are so dirty and they've trampled you so long. Oh, but the blessing falls on the sacrifice. So if you're here and you've been hurt, been wounded, you've been betrayed, people have voted you off their island, kicked you out of their world, walked all over you. Oh, it hurts. It hurts. 
sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me is a lie because the words will hurt you a lot longer than the sticks and the stones. This morning, as you choose to say, Father, I forgive them. The Holy Ghost is fixing to kick out some folks. Fixing to evict some memories and evict some people from your mind. And you're going to be able to celebrate life and go on with life unhindered and unbound because you forgave. So while they play and sing, I want you to respond to the Holy Spirit and what he's asking you to do. Because I don't know what he's asking you to do, but you know. And I want you to say yes to God. And I want us to restore the unity in your house so that we can restore the unity in this house and so we can save the world. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Oh, God, would you pick the burden up? God, would you heal the hurt? Put it back together. Restore what was lost. God, I choose to forgive. I choose to forgive, God. Free me to walk in liberty. Oh, I love you, Jesus. I love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I love you. <laughs> I love you, Jesus. 